Welcome to the Doctor Patient Forum, a no holds barred patient advocacy podcast discussing why millions of pain patients continue to suffer, but most importantly, who caused the suffering. Join us weekly as we discuss how you can help end the untreated pain crisis. Before we get started on this episode of the Doctor Patient Forum podcast, I would love to just give a quick shout out to our brand new patrons who have joined the Doctor Patient Forum Patreon page since our last podcast episode. Candice, Karen, April, Amanda, Bruce, Lisa, Tina, Roberta, Joni, Lynn, Holly, Lorraine, John, Lucina, Suzanne, Carol, Kimberly, Sandy, Richard, Anne, Boca Del Vista, Christine, Dryland, at the end of my rope, Diane, Paula, Jenny, Rebecca, Bonnie, Rebecca, Donna, Marissa, Geraldine. Again, we are so grateful for all of your support and we hope you're enjoying the page. As some of you know, Brittany Hightower, who suffered with sickle cell disease, lost her battle in January of 2023. What you are about to hear is her recording of an ER visit in, I believe it was October of 2021. I do need to warn you ahead of time, this is very difficult to hear. I've heard it so many times and every single time it takes my breath away. But I'm going to play portions of these TikToks that were the recording from this ER visit. I will link in the show notes where you can see her entire story. It is on a TikTok channel called Escaping Sickle Cell Hell, which is the TikTok channel of our guest we are having on today. So all of that information will be in the show notes. Marissa was the advocate of Brittany. My pain and what's wrong with me and you're totally ignoring this is a hospital. No, you are putting my life in danger by sending me home. So Dr. Sad again. I don't care to be consulted. It doesn't matter. You're sending me home and that's a danger to me. That is a danger. I would not have come if I didn't believe I was sick. You can see it in my blood record that I am in a crisis. So how in the world would a hematologist and blood doctor suggest that being at a six is good? That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, we're and even if it's not blood, like you're just, you're not even looking at pain control. I'm not going to come here. If I have payback at home, why would I come here if that was working? If that was working, I wouldn't have came in the first place. And you think because you gave me a measly milligram when I take eight at home, what, what do you think that's going to do? Any other time, I would get admitted for pain control, and they would do what they had to do. And when I was comfortable, I would leave. I am not comfortable right now. 
happy to be admitted is not your decision to make. I've been extremely rude to me this whole entire time. I'm not calling down and I didn't do anything wrong to anybody. How do you treat sick people like this? How do you treat sick people like this? I am a patient. Try to sit at me home and I sit. I know, I know. 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 I What you just heard was part one of Britney's recording in the emergency room. You heard Britney begging, begging for pain relief, begging for her life. The nurse was just like, you need to calm down. I'm going to give you some time to just calm down, right? Because that's what it's all about, isn't it? What you heard at the end is a police officer came in after the hospital called the police on Brittany because she was such a criminal begging for pain relief in a sickle cell crisis, right? What you heard at the end was a police officer actually being more compassionate and kind to Brittany than the nurses were. You heard her saying, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm sick. And the police officer saying, I know, I know, we're going to try to get you help. So this next part of the recording is what happened when the police officers came in to talk to Brittany. Hello? <laughs> so do you know why we're here? I don't care why you're here. It's not fair. This is not good treatment. So if they want me to leave, then I want to file a police report of mistreatment because this is wrong. Okay. Well, they want you out of here, and they need to get that thing out of your chest there so we can get that done. So let's do that so we can get your ride and get you going, okay? <laughs> understand i am sick i don't need to leave if i leave i could possibly die they're ignoring my complaints completely and this is not how you treat people i understand that unfortunately they don't want you here right now and i'm not a medical professional so i can't get involved as far as the medical aspect of anything you can't ban someone from a hospital when they're sick. I can see if I wasn't ill. That is illegal what they're doing. Okay. Well, there's courses that you can take to complain about that. But what you sit courses? In here, you, you, you can make phone calls. You can contact the higher-ups. You can do that. Oh, my God, if you had it, they, they don't so we need to get that thing out of your chest and get you out of here. No, she discharged me for no reason. How is it that you're Brittany, going to Brittany, help them but not me? I'm, not I'm the patient. They don't want you here and they want to criminally trespass you. I am sick. How are you going to okay. trespass so you me? Are you going to take that out of you? No, I am. Why are you not understanding this? So let them get that thing out so we can get going, okay? <laughs> Until I'm able to press charges, no, 
I ever tested. No, no charges that you can press. Yes, I can. I can repress no, mistreatment. Yeah, they're mistreating me. Okay, you, you can contact whoever you want about that. Criminally, there's nothing we can do about that. I'm not a criminal. I'm a sick patient. You're going to become a criminal if you don't. Just get because out they discharge me against do you want to be my will. For criminal trespass? I'm sick. How are you going to arrest me? I'm sick. It's a hospital. They're to help me. So you're telling me there's nothing I can do? Let me try and shed some light here. This number goes to the complaint department for the hospital. They're the ones that can be that can help you more than we can, okay? They have not committed a criminal offense here. They said they... <laughs> Patient Forum podcast. Joining us today is Mar- Marissa has lived with sickle cell her whole life. Uh, and you can also follow her on TikTok at her channel. Note for us. Uh, and now, um, Marissa, the reason we've reached out to you is I was shocked when I came across this video of Brittany Hightower on TikTok. Uh, and Brittany Hightower was in the emergency room. And the video footage that I saw, she was begging for help. She was crying. And the police were there. And they were ready to escort her out. And, and what I saw was a hospital system that was complicit in terrorizing this poor girl. Because there were nurses standing by. There were security guards standing by. People were just standing by. And there was Brittany Hightower crying for help. Yeah. And you, you were her advocate, correct? Yes, I, I was ah. her advocate for the last 16 months of her life from the time she made that video until her passing um, at the first of this year. And how did she pass away? Well, we're still waiting for the autopsy to come back. 
but our general opinion is that she died from medical negligence and most likely an untreated respiratory issue. Like, and where where did this incident happen? At what hospital? She passed away in Texas. She was actually at Texas Health, H-E-B. Okay. And what part of Texas is that? Fort Worth. And she was in the hospital when she passed away or was she She was at home? actually in hospital when she passed away. She had been there for the better part of three weeks of December 2022. We as her advocates had been fighting. I mean, we were her advocates and the hospital refused to acknowledge us as her advocates saying that um, she didn't have the right to choose us because we were not physically in the room. We had it sent well over 10 times and they each time they said that they just didn't receive it. And then they told us that as long as she could blink, she was capable of participating in her care and therefore our power of attorney didn't matter unless she was totally and completely incapacitated. How could it, they it, do that? Well, I mean, I've known people who have power know. of attorney. Like I've, I've, I've never even heard of that. That's terrible. That's ridiculous. Do you have an organization where people can hire you as an advocate or is this a voluntary service that you offer people with sickle cell? Our family, I'm a fifth generation sickle cell patient and our family's advocacy group is called Access Advocacy for Sickle Cell Disease and you can find us at www accessadvocacy.org. We are known as access advocates and our advocates go through a very grueling kind of three-month training program before they're then allowed to go out and advocate for the public. And uh, we don't just take sickle cell patients. We can advocate for just about anybody dealing with chronic pain. Okay. And you offer, is this a training that you provide for people who yes. are interested? Okay. It's a, it's a free training. We don't charge people. Uh, it's part of our family philosophy and ideology that we should not be charging people for information that one, they should already be provided with by the medical system, but two, that can also, you know, help save their lives. And we're lucky enough to to be blessed with more than I guess one would say you need and having witnessed patients really choosing between medical scripts buying scripts or buying food for the week it just you know on a moral and ethical level it doesn't feel right to charge somebody And was Brittany being denied pain medication when she was in the hospital? So the way that things work with sickle cell, which is very different from the rest of the chronic pain community, is that we're we're born this way. Sickle cell is the only illness, if I am correct, of which excruciating chronic pain is the actual diagnosis. That is our diagnosis. It's not oh, messed up red blood cells. No, our diagnosis is excruciating pain 
that is invisible that is and what happens walk us through what a sickle cell crisis is so what sickle so to get to a sickle cell crisis you have to understand sickling so real quick we make our red blood cells normal like you guys okay so they they come out the gate happy whole slippery and, and ready to go. And as they're traveling through the body, dispersing their oxygen molecules, the minute that they let go of that last oxygen molecule, a number of them implode. The red blood cell will actually implode. When that happens, it changes shape. It now becomes misshapen, brittle, and, and hard, and what we call a sickle cell. But the the main part of that is that it releases the iron molecule known as heme. Heme is poisonous. It is not meant to free flow outside <laughs> of the red blood cell. Like if heme went into your bodies, you'd be dead. But for, somehow we have adapted to this. The problem is, is that heme is incredibly sticky it has a very viscous kind of molasses texture because that's the molecule that binds oxygen in the lungs within the red blood cell before it goes out to the body to, to disperse it to your organs. And so when the heme gets released from the red blood cell, it then soaks everything around it. So just imagine like a bottle of syrup exploding in a bag of groceries. Mm -hmm. It's just... It sticky and that causes blockages those blockages build up and that causes the excruciating pain and notice of a course of course that's going to be so 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 painful i remember when my dad was admitted to the hospital and the nurse came into the hospital to help my dad and my dad said no no help that help him because it was a young a young guy he was probably 19 he's like please he's He's suffering so badly with sickle cell. And that was the first time I saw how a person with sickle cell was treated. And that was years mm -hmm. ago because I, I didn't even know yes. what sickle cell was. Yeah. And you would think that in 2023, doctors would check their bias, but they haven't because mm -hmm. people with sickle cell are still being tortured in the hospital, but you don't only need pain relief. You need many other modalities when you get admitted to the hospital, hydration and, and many other so, things. Right. So you need oxygen, you need hydration and you need pain medication. That That's the basic three that comes when you enter ER. Then what happens is because of our very delicate immune systems and our messed up lungs because sickle cell patients, because of the sickling, you don't, you just don't sickle in the blood line. I mean, in the veins, you sickle literally within your organs. So your organs over your lifetime become damaged from the sickling and your veins become scarred, your kidneys, everything, right? By the time you're 28, you're already down two organs. Your spleen is gone 
and your gallbladder is gone. And so that leaves a lot of strain to be put on your kidneys and your liver in terms of the filtration system that the body has set up for itself, right? And you you then end up a lot of times having some type of an infection, one of many, and um, a lot of respiratory issues. And, you know, we talked about Brittany. One of Brittany's main problems was she had, she had sickle cell induced asthma and we could not even get the hospitals to issue her an inhaler, a nebulizer, breathing. They put her breathing treatments, PRN, they wouldn't even schedule them. So when she was already crisis, now she has asthma, which must have been terrifying for her because now she can't breathe on top of having this horrible sickling pain. Right. And you, so... Because I know when I get called in to advocate for people, it becomes a hassle. And then the charge nurse is going to come in and take my information. I don't even send over. There's no paperwork. Sometimes there's no time to do any of this because when the patient calls us, they're desperate. And it right. sounds like the, the the hospital just refused to acknowledge that you were her advocate because she was capable they, of making those decisions they stonewall no they didn't acknowledge us as her advocate because they were beyond bias i mean honestly this is this is medical discrimination at at its worst because we aren't talking about one hospital you guys we aren't talking about one city we are literally talking about all of the major medical groups within the Texas, Houston, Dallas, Austin, Fort Worth area. So, so she was blackballed. Is, she was blackballed by black the system. Blackballed completely. Because, Can you explain how that happened, Marissa? Can you, well, how, how did that happen? What, what were so, the please? Okay, so Texas Oncology, right, is, as I said before, I think, I is one of the largest, if it's not the largest, it's like, one of the largest oncology groups networks in Texas. And it is the underpinning foundation of hematology oncology care. So of the six medical hospitals, okay, Texas oncology is providing the hospitalist and the hematologist and the oncologist to these hospitals. Okay. Yes. All right. I get that. You and, get and, it? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So and it's like these, was, are con- these are contracted. They're so contracted. All of their doctors are contracted. And when you have sickle cell, you have to have an oncologist and a hematologist. I would imagine you have to have many different specialties involved in your in your your plan, well, your care of plan. The, the only major two is your, your oncologist, hematologist. And depending on your state and your your doctor, your pain management physician, because she was kicked from the network, she didn't have a primary um, doctor and she could not find an outpatient hematologist. So she was forced to go five hours away from where she lived in Fort Worth to Houston to the Baylor campus for a doctor. And this doctor is something that we call the ghost doctor. So this is a doctor that will do things like write for the minimum, and I do mean bare minimum amount of pain medication 
that one would need a month's supply and then forces the patient to come back to them in order to get the next script. Right. They so don't really do blood. Mm-hmm. And for Brittany's case, this, this doctor was out of Baylor. So it didn't matter which campus Brittany went to, which Baylor hospital she was at, the doctor would never respond. That's just lip service. Oh, it's absolute bullshit. Sorry, mom. Yeah, no, no, no. Sorry. This is, it, It's absolute BS. Mm-hmm. Because you have to understand something, okay? First of all, sickle cell going back historically was... Most definitely, the reason that it's the it's the first molecular disease discovered is because it was a disease of slaves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you you know you have to going back. I mean, I'm gonna make the history lesson like a minute, but basically, take it back two hundred plus years. You have masters looking and noticing that some of their slaves just ain't quite right Mm -hmm. and when that slave just falls out and dies right they would then call their their doctor friend or that friend that was sort of you know scientifically inclined and say hey come come look at this and so we have noted you know in early 1800s the first notation of a slave with a missing spleen and the doctor note notating that and that and then saying okay is this a a, is this a black thing you know is this an african thing Mm what's what's going on here and so they were following this for hundreds of years just waiting for science to catch up and then you have in the early 1900s right the the onset of the, the, I cannot believe I went blank, but it's a molecular issue. You, you need a microscope, that's it, to mm-hmm. see the blood. And that's how they discovered that, oh, what are these weird misshapen cells? Uh-huh. And, and so it goes on from there. And they're only finding these things in Black people, of course, because sickle cell is basically evolved as a evolved so that you don't get malaria well actually it's not sickle cell that prevents malaria it's sickle cell trait Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is a different situation right okay and so what you have is a the the whole disease has a history in a country built upon racism and bias and this illness that is very, very much intertwined in that history and evolving with medical science, but also evolving with with the social attitudes of the time. Mm-hmm. And so as a so example, my uncle Teddy, my mother's eldest brother, who was born totally normal, he had sickle cell, he also had polio. But he was the first generation of sickle cell patients that the U.S. government allowed to be treated in clinical setting. So that means for the first time ever, the United States government said, you have an actual disease, an illness. We will allow you to go to hospital and be cared for. And my family was just like, yes, 
because they had been dealing with this illness now for 70 years and they knew something was just not right. And my uncle Teddy was sent to county here in LA and he was given the same treatment 70 years ago as I'm still given today. Oxygen, hydration, pain medication, and then back then blood transfusion. Mm -hmm. Well, understand something. This is the early 50s. It's like 1952. The United States is still a federally segregated country and the Red Cross does not accept blood from anybody except white people. And Uncle Teddy had three strokes before the age of three. Mm -hmm. Went from being really a, a prodigy of a child, I mean, brilliant little boy, to being both physically and mentally handicapped. And he never developed beyond really kind of the age of nine and they told my um grandparents they said well you know look y'all are young you know you you're a nice negro family you, you got a little bit of money put them in an institution have another and move on mm-hmm. my grandmother said that boy will not go anywhere wow I can't go. marissa do, does your mom and dad do they have sickle cell no they both have the traits so that's right when when the u.s government decided we could go to hospital they also said oh there's a you know there there's a test so we can test people for trait right because by this time they'd realized that there's there it they had realized it's hereditary and so they developed two tests for the trait and Um, My family had all of the children in the, you know, tested. And they told my mother that she carried the trait for thalassemia, not even sickle beta thal, just plain old thalassemia. Great. No problem. And my father, my father was the product of an Afro-Cuban, an octoroon, basically. His his mother was one of the last octoroons. So basically she was one eighth black. And they didn't think with that genetic makeup that he he would even be, you know, in line to have this. Mm-hmm. And then they both were tested and found out, nope, you both have the trait and your child has the disease. And mm-hmm. are you an only child? I am an only child, as okay. and, most and of it, patients and, are. And it, in your 40s, you're still struggling with sickle cell. And I just want to go back to the, the, tragic, the tragedy of Brittany. Uh, because after I that video, you know, I shared it and I made a comment and I said, I know people are going to say, well, there's more to the story. Yeah. And I said, that's absolutely a, a, an abhorrent statement to make. I don't care if there's more to the story. All I know is that there was a woman who was crying, begging for help, and there were complicit individuals standing by watching her just I, I, did they take did they arrest what happened that in that video so you know it's so funny and i i'm gonna give up i'm gonna give a shout out and an apology to the police officers and the security guard in that video because of everybody that she dealt with that night and this is from her she said they were the most compassionate oh wow Wow, that's she said that they were the most compassionate. She said because the police, as as Brittany put it, she was like the police understood that something was wrong because even though they didn't understand 
So in the video, they're like, come on, let them get that thing out of your chest. The they're referring right. to her port. Right, right. Port is access. Mm-hmm. And so they start asking questions. So right. they pro- to- and they probably felt so uncomfortable, like, oh, my God, what's going on here? Her well, port yeah, is of access. course they did. Her they port didn't... is accessed, and you called us to remove her you, from the system. Well, but that's the whole issue, right, is that, okay, so basically she had been in that ER for about 12 hours. The daytime shift, the day shift, had decided that she would be admitted. And so they had given her one milligram of the Lottie and, you know, she was on IV and whatnot, waiting to be admitted. Night shift comes, enters a nurse that does not like Brittany a lot. Like, they just don't get along. And that happens when you are in and out of hospital. You just have nurses, you don't get along. Right, because the nurse interjected herself. When you have sickle cell, much like my disease, Crohn's disease, you become a frequent flyer. And when you're a frequent flyer, you're also labeled. You know, you're, you're labeled as a drug seeker. But you know how we could eliminate all of this for the sickle cell community? And the last time I testified, I mentioned this. People with sickle cell should have identification cards much like other people with we tried that painful diseases you did right right and it's very difficult because some doctors don't even want to follow the protocol are we have we made any advances in medicine for the treatment of sickle cell or is it still hydration oxygen and pain medication any advances at all we haven't made major advances in the last seven years thanks to uh you know, the CRISPR and gene, gene editing and all of, you know, that wonderful stuff. Uh, we have several drugs that are now just for sickle cell. So Indari, which is glutamine, Oxbrita, which is a pill, a Decbeo, which is um, a, an infusion. And then, of course, we're working on just you know, going in, removing that one little rung on in the DNA ladder that, that holds the sickle cell because we're known as a one gene disease and then replacing it with something that's far less interesting and boom, right? You are supposedly cured of sickle cell. The problem is, is that sickle cell is a chronic illness. So even though you're cured of the acute pain and issues that come with sickle cell, you're still left with the chronic damage that it's done. Uh, of course. Right. All of that, that disease has taken on your body. Yeah. How could you possibly feel like a million bucks if you've been cured? Now, the most important question, do you think the 2016 CDC opioid prescribing guideline has affected the sickle cell community negatively. Well, um, beyond that, the, the issue with sickle cell, you brought up the card. Issue with sickle cell is that out of the three to four years of advanced training we require of our medical professionals, they get about 30 minutes to an hour on sickle cell in which they're told it's a horrible illness. It causes excruciating pain. It's patients don't, they come, they're, they're hospitalized quite often throughout their life. And then immediately, almost in the same breath, they're told they're complicated. Don't believe them, especially the adults. Our medical system has trained our professionals 
to be warned about sickle cell and not educated. So literally what ends up happening is as a child, right? Nobody likes a sick kid. We used to think sickle cell got so much support because pediatric sickle cell doctors were just so amazing, right? But in actuality, it had nothing to do with that. It's just that nobody likes to see a sick kid. Right. And sickle cell children, because they are in hospitals so often and because they're not dying, they're being managed. We are the superstars of peds. I'm not going to lie. Like I would be in pediatrics and they would be walking donors through. And all I had to do was smile, say hi, turn around and checkbooks was flying, boy. Hey, how much you need? We have to ensure this little girl grows up to be somebody. And now it's different when you're an adult. 18. Yeah. You hit 18. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, all of that training, all of that education, because you can't grow up in a hospital and be stupid. Mm -hmm. You can't grow up in a hospital and and not be a problem solver, right? So you've been trained for 18 years. I mean, consider this. By the time I was six, I could command a room of doctors at six. So what do you think I can do at 18? And and why do they warn doctors that you're difficult? Because we're Black. Right. And we have an illness that they're not educated about. And that they're not interested in being educated about. And, you know, I've been called in to advocate several times for people with sickle cell. And in Rhode Island, uh, yeah. I've never had a problem because I'll go to the hospital. Because there's just no reason for somebody to suffer in a hospital. But I, I have heard from another person with sickle cell in Connecticut. She said, this doctor is just horrible to me. Yeah, uh, we and- have them. Um- at Yale? Yes. And every mm-hmm. time she's in the hospital, you know, it's always pulling teeth to get pain medication. And I think they use the word conniving with her. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember saying she has sickle cell. If she's combative, it's because she's suffering mm-hmm. and she's begging you and you have the power and you're withholding the and medication you're, you're judging. from her. Of course, they're judging. They're judging. So it's a uh, your sickle cell is is really you know. In all honesty, doctors should be happy to see us coming because we've grown up in the hospital. We know how it works. We know why we're there. We know what we need. You know, and we're perfectly happy to stay and be treated so we can get back to our lives. Instead, what happens is. The minute that we come in, we are immediately interrogated and subjected to their suspicion. Mm-hmm. And anybody, anybody can interrupt our care. And when I say anybody, I do mean anybody. Uh, and it the happens. Janitor, the uh, janitor to mm-hmm. the head of the hospital. A janitor ca- laughed coming out of my room once, and a hospitalist came in and said, "Oh, I'm." Uh, I'm putting you on PO today. Right, right. Said, why? Yeah, oh, they, I and, just saw you interacting. It looks like you're doing good to me. You don't need this anymore. Right, right. They don't. And I know for another, when I advocated for this girl, they didn't want to give her the IV Benadryl with no. the IV pain medication. And that became a nightmare. But they'll and, happily do it for cancer patients, though. And that's what's so hurtful. You know, the thing is with sickle cell, we grow up in hospitals. Some of our greatest teachers 
And some of the people who have helped to raise us are nurses. I do have a question. Uh, Why are there not, or maybe there are, are there any just specific clinics just for sickle cell? There, there are a few, but unfortunately, with the exception of maybe one that's run by Dr. Marcia Treadwell here in um, Oakland, California, she's the only clinic that I know of. Actually, I think there's a second one where they actually put the ASH NIH guidelines for sickle cell crisis to the test. And within three months, found that they had like a 30% drop in patients coming to the ER. Within six months, they discovered that I was like a 50% drop in admissions. There's, an, I mean, huge percentages in patients either not having to be admitted or when they were admitted, their stay being cut by almost half, if not more, just by following the guidelines that doctors all over the country are refusing to even look at. Because I think it's an ego issue. Absolutely. You know, yeah. our doctors don't have the education, the expertise, nor the experience, right, to have the ego that they do when it comes to sickle cell. And at the end of the day, when you have a patient, and I hate to take it there, but in Brittany's case, you had a little black girl that knew what she needed and that was going to fight for her life. And And she she was vocal. And because she she was vocal, she was considered to be combative. She was combative. She was difficult. She was manipulative. She was all of that. And she was absolutely none of those things. She was a problem solver. She was an avid learner. She was somebody that like, you know, did not like confusion and, and mess. She was always trying to fix things. And that's the thing. When you're a sickle cell patient, you're not seen as trying to streamline your care the way cancer patients are seen. And I'll give you an example. I could get medicated, right? Let's just say Beverly's my, my nurse. Beverly medicates me. And then I say to Beverly, hey, what are my orders? Now, instead of just going to the computer, telling me my orders and writing them on the board, Beverly says, don't worry, when you're due again, I'll let you know and walks out the room. That's the kind of treatment we get. But I have the right to know my orders. Well, I just gave you something. So I don't know why you're, you know, why you're asking that question. Of course, of course. And and because then it then it seems like, well, you're a drug seeker, because now you want to know when you're getting your next dose. And, and the government has created this situation uh, for everyone. Now, if you if you tell them what medication works, for you, you're a drug seeker. If you're not crying loudly enough, well, then you're a liar. If you're crying too loudly, well, we're going to call the police on you. And yeah, and and you're not allowed, like, you're not allowed to ask that that question, Marissa. Like, I've had that experience in the hospital where the hospital, the ER doctor will treat me well, the hospitalist admits me, and the nurse comes in. And I'm like, can you just tell me what my orders are? That very exact situation. 
that very same thing. And they're like, why do you care? You just got something an hour ago. You're fine. And, and then you worry for the rest of the three hours. Like, what if they didn't give me something? What if they didn't, like, you have no right to know what it is that they gave you as though that's considered drug seeking behavior. And the thing about that, which is so crazy, is that if you look up what hospitals or or specialist advocates, whatever you want to call them, the, the, the people that hospitals have hired to like manage new patients, especially cancer patients. Yeah. They tell them, you know, get familiar with your medical records, make sure you have a copy, be familiar with your pain medications, all of your medications. So that way, if you have to go to the ER, you can tell the nurse, you know, they, they tell them, keep notes on, on your body and the changes so that you can give as much information as possible. All of these things that they're telling new cancer patients to do are things that we've been doing for years, but somehow it makes us an illegitimate patient. It makes us drug seekers. It makes yeah. us addicts. And what trips me out, let's just take it there real quick. Addiction? Addiction is a multi-trillion dollar a year business right. from the first time you shoot up until that 15th time you go to rehab and it finally works. Yeah. Like right. keep it 100. Addiction yeah. is a problem, a medical issue that we know how to solve. So why is it that when I go to the hospital, y'all want to label me an addict, but then refuse to give me care? That's right. That's it, Marissa, because the thing is, it's not that they think we're, we're they look at us like we all have issues with addiction. The way they do it is they... You know, the, our country has hated people who use drugs forever. They've looked at the, they used to call them junkies or whatever, right? But they don't look at us that way. They hate us because we are people who use opioids for pain and don't have addiction. And that's why we're hated. So we're, we're hate, a lot of times we're hated by both communities because we're looked at as being like, when we say, well, I'm not an addict. And they'll be like, why you think you're better than us? And then the doctors are like, well, sure you are. You're asking for drugs and we're in this no man's land. But yeah, they don't want to treat us with the compassion that they say drug people who use drugs deserve. I listened to a, a actual, I listened to a girl maybe about almost 10 years ago. She OD'd in the bathroom with her boyfriend slash dealer slash pimp, whatever he was at that moment with her. Right. The right. nurses begged her to stay they gave her a sandwich they bought her juice they they ensured her that she yep. would be made comfortable yep. by yep. the time they were done with this girl they said we found a bed for you in passages for those of you who don't know passages yes. is a malibu <laughs> rehab center yeah where the stars go that is anywhere from 30 to fifty thousand dollars a month yeah. And they had found this girl a bed for free. Then they came over to me. I have been sitting in pain in a one of the worst crises I've ever had. And they say to me, oh, we don't give, we're not going to give you I, IV morphine. And my mother said, you realize this is a curtain and not a wall, right? Good for her. And then all of a sudden, oh, 
now now people start stuttering and and it's ridiculous and i tell i tell patients all the time if they call you an addict you tell them to call psych that's call it psych. that's right that's right they put it in my chart that i was they said i threatened to i threatened suicide if i didn't get iv medication which is not true at all and then they put in my chart that that i was an addict and but neither thing they never called psych they never told me those and that's things. illegal they that, never called my doctor. They never told anybody, but they put it in my chart to make sure to explain why they treated me like garbage that time. But it's yeah. illegal for them to put a diagnosis in your chart without putting the test, right, that is they it? did. It's illegal, yes. Your medical chart is a federally protected document. That has a whole set of laws known as HIPAA to go along right. with them. Right. I mean, look, come on now. And and what trips me out about that is you're telling me that doctors that don't even know me can go into the comment section and just create like the world's worst written telenovela based upon me as the main character, but I don't have the right to put my side of the story in it, you have me messed up. So no. Yeah. And as a patient, yeah. you do have a right. You can write your statement and have your statement put in yeah. your chart. That's right. That's what a right. shame. Yeah. I mean, this is still going on in 2023. People with, well, I... Well, we didn't like, have I, these problems until 2016. That's right, the thing, right. though. It wasn't nearly this bad. Yeah, it's very, very bad now. And, and hospitalists are the worst. Oh, they really are. And I used to refer to the hospitalists as the jack of all trades, the master of none. Yeah. And I really, you know, there is a solution. Uh, Marissa, I'm so glad that you took time out of your day to spend with us at the Doctor Patient Forum podcast. So it was so nice meeting you. I would love to do a uh, take you in on a live on TikTok one day. Oh, we could totally do that. I mean, our, our TikTok is climbing and we're at a point now where we're ready to start doing lives and collaborations with, with other chronic pain and you have our support whatever you need from us you have my support uh because i would like to hone my sickle cell advocacy yeah. uh, like i i haven't had any problems advocating for my sickle cell people here they always get what they need we have a three-month course and i would love to i'm um, bev please uh, yeah. i'm interested in it i'm interested yeah. in that class course. today but it, it starts again in fall so Marissa, let's do, when we um, schedule to do the next one, I would like to do a podcast just about your course. If you could explain it, what it's oh, about, yeah. what, all of that. Cause I would, that, and I also want to learn how to, uh, you know, I've never advocated for sickle cell patients. You've educated me so much on what sickle cell is, but I still would like to hear just your input on the best way to approach things. But I just want to say, you know, thank you to the both of you for, you know, taking an interest in in not just Britney's story because it's horrible, but in sickle cell as a whole, because I truly believe that, you know, as sickle cell as a community, we have not been very active and very vocal in the chronic pain patient fight. Yeah. But I, I think we're kind of the missing link. We're so grateful to Marissa for agreeing to come on our podcast and discuss what happened to Brittany and what's happening in the sickle cell community in general. 
You know, the CDC loves to say that sickle cell disease is an exclusion to opioid guidelines, but that's not what's happening. That's all just lip service. They're still getting treated like dogs or worse than dogs, and we need to keep fighting. If you'd like to hear some more of this discussion with Marissa, head on over to Patreon. We have some after the show discussions and Marissa will absolutely be coming back onto our podcast. We are planning to do a series of sickle cell episodes and we are so much looking forward to collaborating with Marissa and her organization. The link to our Patreon page is P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash the doctor patient forum. If you haven't been over there, I hope you will consider checking it out. We have three different tiers, $5, $15, $30. Our highest tier, we include four coaching calls that you get with it. We have a lot of extra video podcasts and after the show podcasts. It's just been a lot of fun being able to build that little community over there. So I hope to see you over there. Thank you once again for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, please follow us on Spotify, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and share with anyone that you think might benefit from this information. Just a quick disclaimer, the information contained in this podcast should not be considered medical or legal advice.